Good morning. Welcome back. Uh, it, yeah, as Steve said, it's good to be up here and have less stuff up on the stage, big sheets of plexiglass. It's nice to not watch you queued up in the lobby trying to figure out why didn't I pre-register before I came. Um, things like that. So uh, we're gathered here together, all of us, that includes our children, and at this time we want to also just um, pray for our children and let our kids go off to do their thing. And that's so cool when you see a little kid running to see Nana. Uh, I like that. So I love it. Why don't we pray for our children, a blessing over them, and then we'll uh, send them out to their time. So Father, thank you for our children. They are beautiful, and they are a part of this family. And we are continually learning what it means to be uh, a family or a household or a spiritual building uh, all of those things together, and uh, the body of Christ, and I pray that you'd continue to open our eyes to new things we can learn from each other, whether uh, someone is 95 or 5, uh, we are part of the same body of Christ in all of its beauty, all of its diversity, and we pray your blessing over our children and the workers who are with them today, amen. So children, we will let you guys go, we've got people at the back that are going to receive you. And we'll let you go out to your time this morning. And thank you to our volunteers. Uh, one of the things, and I'm going to keep making this plug, particularly for those of you that are parents that have been involved in our program before, maybe you're watching online, is more and more kids are coming back. And the limit that we have is actually the volunteers, people who are willing to be part of the program so that we can offer kids. Uh, instead of putting them all in one room at the same time with all these different ages, uh, we want to offer them some tailored experiences and that's largely dependent upon the volunteers that we have. So, there's my plug again. I really thought someone would put the table here for me, but uh, apparently I haven't uh, paid them enough this week. So. <laughs> How's that? Does that look good? All right. Uh, just uh, want to make a reminder to you as well that uh, one of the things, lots of things have changed over COVID. One of the things we don't do that we used to was pass that plate around. Most of you have switched to online giving, but we do want to remind you that at the back there's a, a box there if you are used to giving uh, in cash or in check. Um, I could talk about silent giving, you know, money, cash, paper doesn't make sound, but we still like to receive it. And, uh, and digital is good as well. And it's just a part of the ministry. It's part of our act of worship to God. Not just singing, but also how we give to him from our resources. So I would just remind you of that. Okay. Somebody is celebrating a 70th anniversary this year. Who is it? Oh, and you guys call yourselves part of the Commonwealth. I can't believe it. The Queen the queen this year, she's actually technically officially celebrated her 70th jubilee, like 70th year on the throne. And later in June, there'll be some, some more uh, celebrations around that in the UK and around the world. But here's the thing. If you look up Queen's Jubilee, you will get a variety of different stories all about the same person and the same event. If you go on right now and you type up Russia, Ukraine you will get all kinds of stories about what has happened in Mariupol right now. Same event, same people, all kinds of different stories. This is sometimes what goes on um, when, we, uh, when we just tell stories. People bring different perspectives. 
And in the Gospels, what we call the Gospels, these historical accounts of Jesus, there are four accounts that we have, each from an individual who's bringing a certain angle or a certain bent to telling the story of Jesus. So, for example, in Matthew, Matthew tells the story of Jesus, but he focuses a lot on the Jewishness of Jesus and the Old Testament scriptures and Jesus as the Messiah. If you read Mark's gospel, and gospel just simply means good news story, so when you hear Christians talking about the gospel of, it literally means a good news story. The good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. So Matthew's gospel, then Mark's gospel. Mark focuses on, um, on the, the disciples' difficulty in accepting who Jesus is. And he also spends a lot of time telling us about the the miracles of Jesus over and above his teaching. John, the fourth gospel. John has what's called a very high Christology. There's a lot of um, teaching about the, the divine nature of Jesus. And what you find in Luke is Luke focuses on this universal aspect of Jesus' ministry and his mission. So in Luke... Um, it's not just Jesus for the Hebrew people or the Jewish people, it's Jesus for everyone, Jews and Gentiles. So the scope of Jesus' mission is universal. And one of the unique things that Luke does compared to the other gospel writers is he teaches quite a lot about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to spend this week and next looking at Luke's writings and what Luke teaches us about the Holy Spirit of God in his writings. And... uh, I'm excited about it because I think for a lot of Christian people, the Holy Spirit's kind of this enigma. We can understand God the Father because we all have a concept of, of fatherhood. Whether you had a good father or a bad father, you at least understand the concept of fatherhood. So when we talk about God the Father, you kind of have a mental image that's created of what God the Father might be like. And then we certainly understand Jesus the Son in human form. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're often left wondering, like, what or who is the Holy Spirit? Don't quite understand it. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at what Luke says about the Holy Spirit. Okay? Great. By the end of it, you'll all be... All right. I, yeah. It, somebody's going to like, he's making fun of charismatics. He's not allowed to do that. Listen. We can make fun of ourselves just as much, so no worries there. What I want to do is read from from Luke chapter 4. So in in Luke 1 and 2, Luke introduces the Holy Spirit in many different places. Luke 3, Jesus is baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then we come to Luke 4, and we read this. Verse 1, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, returning from the Jordan River from his baptism. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He's tempted. And then in verse 14, we read this. Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Then he goes into the synagogue, and they hand him the scroll. It's like like we have the codex. Before the codex, there were scrolls. And so he unrolls it, and he finds the place, what we would know as Isaiah 61. And he begins to read intentionally from that passage in Isaiah 61. And he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So up to this point, from Luke 1 to Luke chapter 4, Luke has mentioned the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. And now Jesus is saying, full of the Spirit's power, the Spirit of God is upon me. 
Jesus reveals the Holy Spirit to us. And so I'm going to say this several times through today. If you want to understand the Holy Spirit, get to know Jesus. And the more you know Jesus, the more you will understand who the Holy Spirit is. So in John, we're going to, I'm going to jump over to John's Gospel. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but Jesus, the unique one who is close to the Father's heart, has revealed God to us. And so I've sometimes used this phrase, God always looks like Jesus. And the biblical writers again and again and again tell us this in their own words, that God looks like Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. Because for you and for me, in the lives that we've grown up, we often create images of God in our mind. We have concepts of God that are not true. They've been shaped by all kinds of things. And what I encourage us again and again to do is to go back to Jesus. If you're unclear about who God is, look to Jesus to understand who God is. And the same would be true for the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit operate? What does the Holy Spirit want? And I would just encourage you, which is I think what Luke is doing, is to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus as how he wants to operate in your life and understanding who he is and what he's about. Jesus reveals who God is to us, who the Holy Spirit is to us. So in Luke 1 and 2, Luke does this amazing job of taking the Old Testament prophets from the Hebrew Bible, these prophets that were also filled with the Spirit of God, who were predicting the coming of the Messiah. Luke does this great job of taking that concept and weaving it into the first couple of chapters of his gospel where he explains the, the, the birth of Jesus. And then he does this brilliant job of showing us how the Spirit is at work in the life of Jesus. And what we've already looked at in verse 14, Jesus was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. In Luke chapter 3, verses 20 to 22, he says that the Spirit at his baptism descended on him like a dove. And if you're familiar with your Bible, that might pick up a story for you from the Old Testament about a guy in a boat, and it rained a lot. And when he was looking for land, the thing that came back to him with the branch in its beak was a dove. And so there's a connection here of this new creation. Just as God developed new creation out of the flood with Noah, he's going to develop a new creation out of the person of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. And what Luke tells us early on in Luke 4 is that Jesus lived his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes we think of Jesus and we think, well, yeah, Jesus was the Son of God. So he walked around, you know, like, I'm God. Boop. You know, I'm God. Boop. You know, and you're healed and all this wild stuff. And we think he did it because he was God. But what Luke is doing is saying that Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God. And the implication is the teaching and the, and the ministry that Jesus does, including his miracles, are done in the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus lived a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And there's good news in that. Because as a fully human person, just like you and I, Jesus was able to live a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit and do the things that he did. So the Holy Spirit was involved in the birth of Jesus. 
And you're like, well, he was also involved in the birth of John the Baptist. You can read about that in Luke chapter 1. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is the Holy Spirit was involved in the conception of Jesus. And so we know that the, the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have a son. And so we know that there's something uniquely different about Jesus in his relationship to the Holy Spirit. But he's involved in his conception. He's involved in his birth. He's involved in his dedication. When they take him to the temple at eight days, two people who are filled with the Holy Spirit come and they celebrate over Jesus at his dedication. So the Holy Spirit is very involved in the life of Jesus as he lives his life in the Spirit. And of course, we read this again and again, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We'll talk about that in a moment. I'll leave you hanging. But he operates in the power of the Holy Spirit. So from Luke chapter 1 to Luke chapter 4, you will read about the Holy Spirit repeatedly. And in uh, the verses that we read, verse 14 and verse 18, Jesus is in the Spirit's power. Jesus reads about the Spirit of the Lord being upon him. And then after that, you don't read about the Holy Spirit at all. Because Luke wants us in his gospel to stay focused on Jesus in all that he is and who he is. And then in, in chapters 10 and 11 and 12, there's a couple references to Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit more than the Holy Spirit at work. And then in Luke 24, Jesus talks about giving the Holy Spirit to the disciples, to his followers. But I think what Luke is doing is he's saying, listen, everything that you see Jesus doing in, the, in this gospel that I'm presenting to you is all based on these first few chapters that Jesus was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So the healing that he did, the teaching that he did, the miracles that he performed, the way where he went and who he went to was all in obedience to the leading of the Spirit of God in his life as human. And then we get to the end. Jesus uh, is having a conversation with his disciples and he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit just like the Father promised. So here's Jesus giving the Holy Spirit, and there's indications to these connections here between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And then this is what I love, and I'm going to cheat. I'm not just using Luke's gospel, but, you know, you don't always just look at a singularity. You look at the whole of Scripture. And so in Hebrews chapter 9, uh, the writer to the Hebrews clues us into the fact that the Holy Spirit was actually involved in Jesus giving himself up to be crucified. So I want to read this for you. Where's Hebrews? Somewhere in the New Testament here. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for sin. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus went to the cross and Jesus allowed himself to be crucified, to be executed. Jesus was willing to give up his life sacrificially because of the Holy Spirit and his willingness to, to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've just thought all this time he could do that because he was God. See, the biblical writers 
and theolo- well, theologians will talk about a concept called kenosis. And kenosis is the emptying of Jesus. So in Philippians chapter 2, you'll read that our attitude should be the same as, as Jesus, who being in the very nature with God, did not consider himself equal to God, but he emptied himself of his divine privileges. And the word that's used there is kenosis. So we can talk about the canonic Jesus, the Jesus who empties himself of his divine privileges and as fully human lives under and within the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, so that he could do things like even go all the way to the cross, give his life for someone else in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. And it's the Holy Spirit who's involved in Jesus rising from the dead. So look at this in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Paul's talking about this good news of Jesus. And in verse 4, he says that Jesus was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's bring, bring it back to Luke. In the first four chapters of Luke, he is emphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And I'm just filling in these little bits at the end where we see that Jesus goes to the cross in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to his followers. So let's come back to this idea of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that expression? You might not have, but a lot of people who have been in church will hear this expression, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wonder sometimes if you are just troubled with, what does that even mean? How do I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? I want to read uh, what one writer writes in, in relation to this idea of being filled. His name's Justo Gonzalez. I've referenced him a few times. Uh, If I remember right, he's a Cuban theologian, and I just appreciate so much uh, his writing. But he says this, Being filled with something refers not to an interior attitude, but actually to an emotional or spiritual fullness that overflows outwardly. And just, he uses an example, just as being full of rage involves the whole person. Have you ever been full of rage Do you agree with that statement? Being full of rage involves the whole person. How many of you have ever been full of rage? All right, we got some honest people here. I love it. I was a little bit getting close to being filled with rage yesterday. I was in Oakville and I was driving home and I came up Trafalgar Road and and the back roads and it was an amazing drive the whole way until I got to Devil's Glen and somebody pulled in front of me and went 78 kilometers an hour from Devil's Glen to Collingwood. And I was so close to being filled with rage. Not really. But you get what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. When you are filled with rage, your whole person is involved. And so he says this, just as being full of rage involves the whole person, so being full of the Holy Spirit involves the whole person and is manifested outwardly in attitudes of goodness, wisdom, and joy. So the point he's making this, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not necessarily just something that's happening inside of you. Being filled with the Holy Spirit works itself out. 
and it is expressed outwardly. So we talk about expressions of the Holy Spirit, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And when some people hear the, the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it makes them nervous. Because they think that being filled with the Holy Spirit means like you're going to start doing all of this. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with doing all of this. Sometimes I stand over here and do that when we're singing because I love being moved by the music. And it might mean that some people are going to start speaking in a language that's not understood and someone else has to interpret that. And the biblical writers talked about that as speaking in tongues. But I would suggest this. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there, the greatest evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is a manifestation, but maybe differently than what you would think. And we'll put this up here. The greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a person's life or in the midst of, of Jesus' followers, the community, is in our ability to live out the fruit of love. And I think the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a community is our ability to love each other. Do you want to know if someone is spirit-filled? Do you want to know if the community is filled with the Holy Spirit? I would suggest you not look for raised hands in other languages, but you look for how people love each other. And the Apostle Paul, in the letter to a, a group of people called the Galatians, Paul's a leader in the early church, and he wrote to a group of Christians that were struggling with the way they were treating people on the outside of the community. And Paul says, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I would say if you're looking for a community that's Spirit-filled, look for those things. As the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit in someone's life or in the life of a community. So here's what I recommend. The best way to understand the Holy Spirit, and I think Luke does a great job of this, is to understand the Holy Spirit in and through the person of Jesus. Understand the Holy Spirit through the lens of Jesus. And sometimes when we talk about doing theology, we want to look at God the Father, and we want to look at the Bible as general revelation, and we want to look at the Holy Spirit, and we want to look at what it means to be saved, and we want to look at uh, end times, and we want to look at creation down here, and we break them all up. And then somewhere along the line, we say, well, yeah, we should look and talk about Jesus too. And I think what Jesus invites us to do in his own teaching that we find in the Gospels is to understand all of these things through the lens of Jesus himself. So you want to understand who God the Father is? Do it through the lens of Jesus. You want to understand what's going to happen at the end of time? Do it through the lens of Jesus. You want to understand what happened at the beginning of time? Do it through the lens of Jesus. You want to understand the Holy Spirit? Do it through the lens of Jesus. Because Jesus is going to help us understand who the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit was actively involved in Jesus' life, not because he was the Son of God, but as a fully, as a fully human, as a full human as you and I are, Jesus lived, surrendered to the Holy Spirit's leading and filling in his life. And I think Luke's doing a, a wonderful job making that clear for us. And this gets me excited, because I want to say this to you. When we realize how active the Holy Spirit was in the life of Jesus, that's the Gospel of Luke, we will be able to celebrate how much the Holy Spirit wants to be active in the life of the church. And that's the book of Acts. 
So in Luke's gospel, his good news story, he mentions the Holy Spirit 14, 15 times. In the book of Acts, which is volume two of Luke's writing, he talks about the Holy Spirit 45 plus times. And what he's doing in Luke, I think, is showing us how the Spirit was at work in the life of Jesus. And if he'll do that for Jesus, the man, and that's not to take away from Jesus as the Son of God and his relationship with the Spirit in the triune nature of who God is. We're not going to unpack all of that this morning. But if he's willing to do that in the life of Jesus, Luke shows us this is what he's going to do in the life of the church. And the great thing about the book of Acts is the story doesn't have an ending because the life of the church is still ongoing and the Holy Spirit is still at work. So if the Holy Spirit will do that for Jesus, the Holy Spirit is definitely going to do that for us. And I just think that's worth celebrating. And I think Luke does this amazing job of letting us in on this. Something I've noticed over the years, um, and I've, even in, in my own ministry, I think in the, in the church in the West, we do a great job of helping people understand who Jesus is. But I think people are looking for far more than just intellectual procurement on who Jesus is. People want to experience God. They want to have an experience with God. And I wonder if you want to have an experience of God. And maybe you're sitting here going like, I'm not feeling anything. I have a spiritual director. And uh, sometimes they're, you just talk and they listen. It's almost like counseling. Sometimes they speak into your life. So um, just recently, I met with my spiritual director. And, uh, and I said to him, he said, Paul, how are you doing? And I said, man, I feel empty. And he said, good. And like, I literally was like, thanks. And he said, because I've been praying this morning and, and wondering if the Holy Spirit was leading me to walk you through an exercise called the empty cup. And then he walked me through this exercise, and it was profound for me at a time that I was just feeling empty. And I wonder if you feel empty. I wonder if you would like to have an experience with God, if you would like to participate in the divine nature, and you're trying to figure out what that is. And I think Luke is giving us an invitation here through the power of the Holy Spirit to understand what it means to experience Jesus in all of his fullness through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have access to Jesus in ways that the people who were with him in person never did. Because through the giving of the Spirit of Christ, we have access to Jesus at all times and in all places and for all people. And I think people are looking for an experience of the Holy Spirit. And if the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit, maybe I'm wrong on this, but if the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit is the way we live out the fruit of love, then if we are a spirit-filled community, that means there's going to be less of some things. There's going to be less division. There's going to be less competition. There's going to be less gossip. There's going to be less backbiting. And if we are a community that is filled with the Spirit of God, then that means there's going to be more of some things. More love, more grace, more mercy, more forgiveness, 
more wisdom, more joy, more new people who are experiencing God, more broken people, more people who are on the outside wondering if they can come in, and more people on the outside reaching out to say, come on in. And more experiences with God that changes from the inside out. And I love Luke's emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus through the gospel of Luke. And I invite you to just see it for what it is and recognize if if the Holy Spirit will work in Jesus' life like this, how much more does he want to work in our life? And that's what the book of Acts shows. And so next week, even though it's not the gospel of Luke, it is volume two to Luke's writing, I want to walk us through the book of Acts and how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the church. And maybe we'll learn some more about who the Holy Spirit is. So that's my word for us today, and I want to pray a prayer of blessing over us as we wrap up this morning. We sang about believing in in God the Father, in God the Son, and in God the Holy Spirit. And this we believe. And so my prayer for us as a community is that you would continue to dwell among us in the Spirit of Christ and fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. That we would continue to grow into becoming more and more a community that is characterized by radical, outrageous, enemy-loving, spirit-filled love for one another. And for all those who are yet to become part of the family. May that be so as we give ourselves to you. Amen.